Hello and welcome back to um, the Life Beyond the Chariot series that Deanna and I have been doing since our whole COVID experience. And um, we have a special guest with us who is a regular on our podcast or mini-sodes that we're doing. But before we sort of dive into introductions and our topic for the day, um, would you mind lead us in prayer, sister? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you just aware of who God is, who you are, three persons in one, as we just celebrated the Blessed Trinity. Uh, continue, Heavenly Father, to teach us about what you've called us to, the image that you've made us all in, and that call that you have that we may be one um, in your Son, that mission that you have uh, that all may be one in you your sons and daughters. Ask your blessing on this conversation. Um, help us to be attentive and docile and obedient to your spirit and to your will, Heavenly Father. And we ask all these things through the intercession of our Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, well, we'll go ahead and do formal in, uh, introductions. My name is Mickey Seba. I am the catechetical specialist here at the St. Philip Institute and my co-host, and Deanna Johnson, the Family Life Director at the Institute. And our special but yet regular guest. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sister Josephine. I'm a school counselor at our Cathedral Grade School and serve in a private practice here in Tyler. And yes, I was giving Dan a hard time. I said, it's not my turn anymore. <laughs> Somebody else's turn. So I'm grateful to talk to y'all. I love you ladies. Uh, well, we love having you on. And when Deanna and I were talking about um, this this episode. I know we were both a little nervous um, because it, it is coming on the heel of all of the things that happened after or during and after the death of George Floyd and um, interruption really of emotion and discussions that need to be had and how properly to have discussions about um, issues concerning race, how we handle our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know I was really nervous. And I, I don't want to speak for Deanna, but I think she was nervous. Huh? Um, and we'll let you share your response later when we asked if you would be willing to do this. But I think that we have experienced a broken, um, a brokenness in our country that has been there for a long time. Um, and maybe just coming to light again. Right? I think there have been moments when this division or this brokenness comes to light. And um, these conversations have have to happen, uh, even in the discomfort uh, or even in the fear that can accompany it. So um, so we're going to dive into an issue of um, how we as a church handle issues of race or discrimination, the dignity of the human person, uh, how do we heal as a country and as a church and move forward. So, um, so sister, let's sort of start with this, an honest question. What was your first response when Deanna asked, hey, <laughs> do you like to be on, uh, uh, on our, ep on our mini episodes again, uh, talking about these issues? Uh, so I got her text and I just turned the phone face down. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to deal with that later. Um, and then she sent another text and I was like, oh goodness. So I called her and was like, I was like, it's not my turn. I've been on already too many times. So she pressed and then I was like, I can get you somebody better. Like I actually tried to 
offer up another sacrificial lamb and uh, she pressed. Um, and so I said yes. And like I said, I love talking with y'all. I'm always grateful for invitations to share the faith. Like it really, um, it, it brings me life to share faith. Um, so I had to sit back and reflect, like, why do I want to say no? Um, and the first thing that came to mind, it was just a really selfish reason. Like I'm enjoying myself in East Texas and I love ministering here and I do, I don't want to rock that boat. And so it was selfish and like a lack of courage um, and fear was the first thing I got I prayed about. Why am I resisting her? Um, and the second thing, I had to think about my family and friends. Uh, when I told people that I was transferring to Tyler um, on multiple, like in multiple relationships, people were concerned for me being a black woman administering in East Texas. Um, and that's still present. When I was home in March for spring break, it came up among my family and friends. Like, are you going to be transferring soon? Because um, they're just worried because this area has the reputation of having a greater population of people who hold racist beliefs. Um, it has a history where discrimination um, is closer to present than maybe some other parts of our country. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, my family and friends are already concerned. And now they're going to see me on a video on the internet, like talking about bias, race, uh, discrimination. So I, you know, if my family sees this, like I will, I'll be getting phone calls. Um, <laughs> I'm getting phone calls. So yeah, that was behind my note, kind of like self-preservation, mm -hmm. uh, an initial selfishness, and then just thinking, you know, I'm already consistently hearing concerns about is it going to be okay for me here. You know, uh, what's so interesting about that is as you're speaking, because I. Uh, I really am, I think, very ignorant in the whole issue because I'm like, what? Racism still exists here in East Texas? Like, the people are so nice. Southern charm. You know what I mean? And for me, I have not been surrounded um, or they haven't voiced those thoughts or I'm so blind to the, to the, the history or the experience of people that I don't even realize that there are hints of it or even when it's overt. So um, I know... And that's, I think, why I was really hesitant. And I'm like, oh, like even now I have knots in my stomach because I feel like I don't have much to offer because of my ignorance. Um, my lived experience is not the same as yours or Deanna's. And I think for me, I have been fearful of in that ignorance, like saying something or asking a question that would come across as offensive. Like when I, when I deeply want to understand the lived experience of other people or the reality of what's going on, um, that I can't, especially when I get nervous, <laughs> I sound like an idiot sometimes because <laughs> I fumble through my words. And I think that was a fear of mine of coming across as, um, not genuine and not sincere. Uh, and, um, are not someone who's seeking justice or trying to find um, peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I think that's why I was fearful and, and hesitant. Um, so, Dean, I, I don't know. Like, well, I just feel like, I, I don't know, I feel called to say right now, you know, uh, Nikki, you are my sister <laughs> in, in Christ, you know. And so I think I said before we started, um, I hear in that fear 
like at the root of it that you care about the relationships. Like that's what I choose to hear. Um, so even if you say the most inappropriate thing, like I'm gonna choose to keep listening and choose to continue to see you as my sister. So I just think it's important to say that right now. I think you're trying to transition to Deanna. <laughs> no, no, and I, I was just going to affirm, Sister said it so much better than, than I could have, but I love that, Mickey, that you share that, because I feel like there are so many people who stop at the discomfort, and then conversations like this don't happen at all. Mm-hmm where they need to and people are afraid to ask questions or to clarify or they go to another extreme where it's like well there isn't a problem or I'm not part of the problem so why do I need to why do I even need to pay attention to it I'm Catholic I'm not racist <laughs> like what 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 could I possibly contribute to uh, to the discussion and and I think this might be an, an opportunity or an invitation for people to really think about, like we we're so we're very vocal on on so many of the church's teachings that everything that's happened over the past week, especially, but even before then. I mean, when when the the situation with Ahmad Aubrey and Brianna Taylor and so many others um, happened getting back to the dignity of the human person. Like we, we believe that as Catholics, we, we are, we're fierce in our, in our belief of the, the dignity of the human person. And although it's an uncomfortable topic, what we're kind of diving into, like being able to, to understand that, that it's more than just saying like, well, I'm not racist and I did my part, but maybe there's a, maybe each of us is called to contribute something to the conversation, even if it's as simple as just asking questions and Mm -hmm. asking for clarity. Yeah. And I know one of the things, and I was, I was really nervous to ask Deanna and I consider her one of my dear friends and I was really nervous to ask her this question. um, When we were talking about having this uh, podcast and this conversation, I remember asking her, um, uh, in my mind, it was hard for me to make the jump between what happened to George Floyd and is it racism? And I felt really nervous asking because, uh, well, first I didn't want um, I didn't want her to think I didn't value our friendship, nor did I want her to think that I didn't think there was a deeper issue here. I just wasn't sure, and so I got caught up in like the the details, like is this particular thing racism or is it not? Um, and so then I was like, well, I don't feel like I can speak about it because I don't know. And then if I say it's not, will I be judged from one side? If I say, if it is, will I be judged from another side? And, um, and so I remember when that was brought up sort of in sort of prior conversations between us, um, you sister, you had something to say, you're like, well, we don't really know for sure. But what this has done is it has brought to the surface something that needs to be talked about and needs to be discussed. But I think that was my fear. Uh, and I love Deanna and I know she loves me and we care about each other, but being able to enter into those conversations. And, and sister, you told a, um, you mentioned the importance of like acknowledging our fear and you accompanied it with a pretty powerful story. And I'm wondering if you'll share that with Uh, with our audience and how that relates to acknowledging our fear um, in these sorts of times. 
Yeah, I think it was a huge lesson for me. And it was actually close to the time when I had moved here, um, like early on, like right when I had moved here, I had gone to Dallas for, um, for an event with the sisters there. I was coming home and, um, I think it's our fear that keeps us separated and not seeing each other properly. Um, and, and can, like, if we set up this us versus them and the media doesn't seem to want to help us undo that, right? <laughs> we still love to keep that going. And so I think of this story for that reason when I think about how scared we can be with what we don't know or understand or when we feel like we might be misunderstood or not known. Um, and so I was flying home on I-30, like going to pick up 80, and I crossed under a bridge. And I saw a young man facing me, which is odd, like, so he, but his face really stayed with me. I skipped an exit and thought, no, it's probably okay. But then he really stayed with me, so I turned back. Um, the young man was planning to kill himself. He was planning to jump off the bridge. Um, and I know our time is short, so I won't tell the whole story of that experience. I will tell you, I was terrified and when I got out of my car to try to help him I was terrified he was a very young white man and he had a knife on his hip and so on my way back to try to talk to him and stop him I had called the cops and the cop that showed up was a young Latino man who had a gun on his hip but I think in what I wrote to y'all I was like oh I had my rosary that's what I had <laughs> so um all three of us were terrified um, and I remember at one point asking the cop if he could please raise his hands to show the young man as a sign that he didn't want to harm him. Um, and so I thought about that when I thought about the fear that we can have, because on that bridge that day, we were not each other's enemies. Uh, we were not each other's enemies. Um, and so when I was kind of reflecting on y'all's invitation and just thinking about the different the different topics we talked about, I thought about, it's my favorite Martin Luther King speech. Um, I know the most popular one is I Have a Dream, but I love his mountaintop speech. It's the last public speech that he gave before he died. Um, and it was really providential because he talked about not fearing death. Um, and so he said, um, he says towards the end, I'm not fearing any man uh, because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So he's like, I'm not afraid because I've seen the glory of the coming of the Lord like I've seen. So I think what we were talking about in preparation for this is like being Eucharistic people. As Eucharistic people, our eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And we have the great opportunity um, with each reception of the Eucharist to be transformed and configured into the likeness of Christ. And with each reception of the Eucharist to be more conformed to obedience to the mission of God. And so that fear on that bridge that day was a huge lesson for me because in so many ways, um, I didn't want to be there. <laughs> I didn't want to help. I didn't want to enter in um, to what I couldn't guarantee was not going to hurt me. Um, so it was just a huge teacher on how much fear can keep us apart, uh, that we are not each other's enemies. And I had no enemies on that bridge that day. I don't care if they had weapons. They were not my enemies. That's so powerful when you said um, of having that fear to enter in. And I, and, and being a Eucharistic people, 
who believe in the power and the glory of Jesus Christ and knowing that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who he died for all of them. He died for all of us and that we can't be afraid to enter into that. And so um, just such a beautiful story. So one of the things that I, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of, and I'm, I'm glad we're acknowledging how fear can be an obstacle, because, I mean, Facebook is not the place to have important conversations, because so much can be misunderstood. But I, I almost sense, like, folks are either very dismissive of others, or there's, like, we're not speaking the same language, or we're not we're not defining our terms when it comes to addressing the issue. So there have been very emotional posts that are <laughs> that are um, put out there, um, and some people take offense immediately. But it's really like we're just we're. It's almost like we're looking at something from from so many different angles, but but we really are on the same page. And especially for us as Catholics, like we're. We are all about, like we said before, we're all about human dignity, but this is such an emotionally charged um, conversation sometimes um, with folks and just not knowing like how, how do we talk about these things or how do we navigate these waters? I know, sister, you were, you were talking about the importance of defining terms when we're entering into, to this conversation. So can you, can you explore that? Um, sure, sure. And I hear kind of two things there, but I will stick with the defining terms and then if we have time to get to the other bit. Um, so with defining our terms, um, I think it's so important, even like person first language. I know not everybody likes person first language. People who have like different disabilities and things like that don't prefer person first language. But I think when we're talking about racism and discrimination that person first language would be helpful so like you're racist that is not person first language right or you hold racist beliefs a person who holds racist beliefs is person first language so that's a, the thing that just a tool that could be helpful in conversations where we're actually seeking um to hear one another and understand more and build relationships so when we dialogue beforehand about terms, it's like first there's bias and stereotyping, right? Where we apply sweeping generalizations to a group um, that are usually not founded in experience. Um, or maybe I had one experience with a member of that group and I tag it, right? So this is getting into some of the mental health stuff. I tag it and use it to understand future encounters with similar groups, okay? That's where bias and stereotyping comes from. Then we get into prejudice, right? And so racism is actually a form of prejudice. And prejudice is about a pre preference for a group over another. Like prejudice is where we start to assign values. Um, and so racism is a form of prejudice. But when this comes up to the surface as acts, that like visible acts, that's actually called discrimination. And so I just think all of those terms are so important because like what, what person is going to um, feel vulnerable and safe enough to explore their own biases, stereotypes, and prejudices that also may include racism if I'm starting out the conversation, like, this is how you're racist, right? Like, who who would, you know, be like, yeah, this stuff, I'm ready to be vulnerable and explore and self-reflect. No, like, and so that's also where sometimes I'm wondering, like, if our aim 
is like peace or if our aim is sometimes like sensation and that adrenaline rush that can come from conflict um so i do think it's important to define those terms um and i'll, I'll stop there was another thing i wanted to add but yeah uh, one of the things that you had mentioned in one of your written reflections is that, um, and I'd love you to provide some insight on it, is that you said that sometimes we can have these um, bias and stereotypes that actually can turn into like prejudice in our head without us actually realizing it. So as, um, as a person of faith, as a person who believes in the dignity of all human, of all human people, how do we guard ourselves against that entering into our existence um, without being, a, you know, uh, like if we're not aware, how can we protect ourselves? How can we protect our family and then our community from that really manifesting itself um, in unhealthy ways? Yeah, I didn't even say, Mickey, like, I wonder if, like, this, that it's good to safeguard, but sometimes, um, it's, it's like we have to respond, right? So sometimes I'm not even aware of the messages coming in and what conclusions they're leaving, but through self-reflection, ongoing self-reflection, ongoing self-examination, they become aware. Uh, so just to become a counselor, right? Counselors don't wield deadly forces, but like just to become a counselor, like I had to submit a worldview paper and I had to sit down with various prompts and like reflect on my worldview and like what I thought about groups of different groups of people in the world and what beliefs I held about them and views. And even that kind of had me like, where did I get that from? And is it true? And kind of like starting to ask myself questions. And another thing I had to do, I had a professor who made us go, we look completely strange doing this, but I had a professor who had us go and sit and pick two people to observe in like a coffee shop and just write down all the thoughts and assumptions that came into my mind as I observed those people and observed my physiological reactions as I observed those people. I had two pages of assumptions and I never encountered them. I never encountered them. And so I think that's the type of reflection that needs to start going on in adults, children, something different in adults to get us to start to be aware of um, some of this beneath the surface stuff um, that come, can come up to the top of the surface as discrimination. That is wonderful advice. I bet that was an incredibly powerful experience because I don't think I've ever really sat in, in, well, I know I've never sat and just done that. Like, are there things that already exist in what I am assuming, like bias and uh, how I'm viewing other people and how that affects what I'm already thinking about them without even knowing them? Oh, and I, and I, I just wanted to add, I love that, I'm so glad that Sister shared that because we know Sister Josephine, we know that she is one of the most holy, most wonderful women, and so to hear her say that should be a good reminder to the rest of it, like, Sister Josephine is a holy woman that loves Jesus, and she's acknowledging that, that like, there are assumptions that, that she's made about other people. Right. <laughs> right. So it's not, so I, I, and maybe that's what people need to hear is that acknowledging that bias that comes to mind, that doesn't mean that we're saying like, you're a horrible person or you're, you're the worst. It's like, I mean, how do we respond to that? That's, that is important. Like what's the, what's the fruit that comes out of it? 
but sister, can you can you kind of help us like understand? Okay, once I've acknowledged that bias that that may come to mind, what is the next step? Or if I start to recognize, like, oh no, there have been moments where I have acted on those assumptions, or maybe ac accidental accidental discrimination. I don't know if that's a thing, um, but being able to start to recognize that, like, because I because I could see how some people would be like, oh man, like I am I'm an awful person. Now what? But what's the, and I think that's where our faith can help us. But yeah, what would you say is the, the proper response once we acknowledge and reflect? Stop. <laughs> like stop, stop doing it. It's like, so, so now that I have awareness, I can stop myself when it happens. It may still happen. It may still happen because these are deep-seated things. And that's one thing I, it was important for me to make a point of. I think sometimes People are like, uh, you know, I'm not racist. And because today, like, we're not dealing with a whole bunch of overt racism. At least that, that's not that's not my experience. In my opinion, a lot of that stuff is below the surface. It's covert. And like I said, in our sharings beforehand, covert sometimes if the person is aware, but it's no longer socially acceptable for it to come to the surface. Excuse me. <clears throat> or covert and the person's unaware because of that there hasn't been that self-examination and that self-reflection. Once you come to awareness, just pause. Like, you know, and, and you know, like, this is an area of vulnerability for me. I think I shared with y'all once how I had a bias and a prejudice against um, women who identify as feminists. I shared with y'all about that on another. That's real. I mean, it really is. It was a very comical experience forcing myself to go and encounter people like that one of the stereotypes I had applied to people who call themselves feminists was I assumed that people who call themselves feminists are all women. And when I showed up at that group, there were women and men there. Um, and so, and then I asked them, I was like, you're a feminist. <laughs> and they, you know, and they educated me like it's a, and so um, I think it's like, no, it's not going to vanish and just immediately go out of you. But having that awareness this is an area where I struggle. And this applies to any area where we struggle as people who are striving for holiness. We become aware. We know the sensitivities of our conscience. We build in areas to safeguard, you know, and to, to be able to respond as well as we can in the situations in front of us. Um, so just awareness. And then when you're aware, you can start to help other people be aware. Like in your places of ministry, in your places of service, you can kind of point out like, oh, you're applying a stereotype for generalization or that may not be true. You know, so. I, I love that because it's it's very Catholic. And we, we were saying before, we're a Eucharistic people. We're the body of Christ, all of us. All, and we all need each other. So being able to, to think about, okay, how am I treating my brothers and sisters in Christ? Like at the, at the deepest, at the deepest level, like how, how am how am I responding to the body of Christ? Do I do I only pay attention to this side or or the other? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just it's just a very Catholic thing because I, I feel like with 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 some people I just in the past we can just monitoring or not monitoring but listening to some of the conversations that are happening like over social media, which again not the best place to to dive deep with people, <clears throat> but it just feels like. Some folks are very quick to be like, well, that that doesn't apply to me. Like, I, it's not an issue that I deal with. Like, of course, I believe that that um, that everyone has equal dignity, and so like 
this isn't something that I need to speak up on, but if part of the body is suffering, we need to acknowledge that and, and think about, okay, well, how, how can I help? And, and, and a lot of times I think it will be our prayers, but, but also like checking, checking yourself, checking that bias, um, and having these conversations for sure. And I think I sent y'all like a, a long list of like reflective questions on ways to like come to awareness of why are things the way that they are in our broader system. And I think that can be really helpful for self-reflection as well. Like to just kind of look around and ask those discerning type questions. Like, and I don't know if y'all want to get into those right now, but um, there are things we can ask ourselves and then look around our world and say, oh, like, is there something here that I haven't been aware of? And then how is that in me? Right. Can you give an example of that? Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Sure. I think um, I'm going to pull up what um, what I wrote to y'all to see which ones I would maybe like to share. I think even like, um, I can speak, let's speak specifically in our context that we're in, like in East Texas. Um, I believe... Brown versus the Board of Education passed in 1954, and that was the Supreme Court uh, case that said segregation in schools was unconstitutional. And where we live, that was not implemented until the late 80s, late 70s, early 80s. That's in my lifetime, right? And so what does that mean about where we are right now, right? Like it's a super new thing, and again, that, that discrimination that was above the surface, like imagine it like an iceberg, right? That discrimination of segregation that was above the surface in the late eight, in the late 70s, early 80s, when it stopped, it didn't vanish, right? Did it go under and how is it under today? Um, what are some other kind of, and you know, looking at our schools, right? I've had clients in Jack Elementary and I've had clients in Griffin Elementary. Let's ask, just ask the question, like, those students have really different experiences of education and what drives that? And then there's like little simple things and they almost seem kind of silly, but they're like kind of, I think these silly things can be like a safer way to start to examine, okay? That's why I use examples like this. So if I go, I'm a sister and we use pantyhose. <clears throat> and if I go to the store and try to buy some pantyhose, um, I can't go into mainstream stores to find ones that match my skin. But the shelf is full of options for women who have lighter complexions, similar to that of white people. Uh, the shelf is full of options for those people. As a black woman, for some reason, there are not options in many there for me and I have to go to a special store. Where does that come from? At a time in my life where I wore makeup, I'm running to the store, I finally have permission to wear makeup, and I'm in like a mainstream regular store, and the shelves are full of colors that match light, light-complected women. Shades more common among white people um, are not people who don't have a lot of melanin, okay? <laughs> and um, I had to finally end up like driving to a special store and making an investment in makeup. So how did it get that way? Like. Why do the shelves look like that? And what drives that? Um, surely, I mean, my color is, and I, and I want to say this, I really wish people would stop saying that they don't see color because you see all the other gifts that God gave me. Why wouldn't you see that one? Um, I love my color. I love it. 
Um, and so how did that get decided that um, what colors would be on the shelves and which ones would not? You can answer that question a number of ways. Um, you could say, oh, the population in the area or da 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 da. I mean, you could, but just start to reflect religious images. What color do angels normally look like? Right? All of our blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus, ain't nobody in Nazareth got blonde hair and blue eyes, okay? Um, and so just like just asking those types of questions, I think can open us up to that self examination and self reflection. Mm -hmm. Like, what is here? How did it get this way? Is any of that in me? Uh, when I was, uh, and I don't know if this is like a huge jump, and you'd be like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> but I was reading I, and trying to find some um, like church documents or something of, of wisdom to like share because I felt like I had nothing to add. So usually I just go to the experts, you know, <laughs> for some words of wisdom. Um, but I found this quote in Gaudium et Spes, and I just think it, um, I think it sums up really uh, sort of the church's teaching in a nutshell and sort of the kind of people we are called to be. But um, Gaudium et Spes, uh, number 29, paragraph 29, it says, all women and men are endowed with a rational soul and are created in God's image. They have the same nature and origin, and being redeemed by Christ, they enjoy the same divine calling and destiny. There is here a basic equality between all, and it must be accorded ever greater recognition. Undoubtedly, not all people are alike as regards physical capacity, and intellectual or moral powers, but any kind of social or cultural discrimination in basic personal rights on the grounds of sex, race, color, social conditions, language or religion must be curbed and eradicated as incompatible with God's design. It is deeply to be deplored that these basic personal rights are not yet being respected everywhere. And just as you're talking about really um, asking yourself these, these questions of, of what your experience is and why that's the case, um, that we need to be able to apply that in all of these areas as well, that we don't allow these things that the church says are deplorable. They have no place in us. Um, and that the respect for the human person um, is really what drives hopefully our our um, ability to reach out in, in situations that are uncomfortable and to have these conversations when entering into those conversations to never forget our calling as the people of Christ. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess just, I mean, I don't know what I'm saying. I just thought it was a beautiful quote. Well, I love the quote because it's a challenge, right? It's mm -hmm. got a challenge in it. And so you could take off, take the baton and run off and try to fulfill it. Um, but like, um, that, but it left me, it came back to mind, like I think it's so important for our church here locally um, with, you know, our history, our story, like to just, uh, there's something that I really want to share is to be able to have the courage to like look upon our experience in truth, right? And that means ourselves and, you know, I'm coming to the end of initial formation. And when I look back over the nine years and how much the sisters helped me to find the courage to look on myself in truth so that I could make a more sincere and 
an, an integrated offering to God and my vows, right? And so I just, I want to encourage people to have the courage to look at your world, to look at yourselves, your communities, your relationships, like to look on that in truth. It won't break you. You're not going to break. Like if you discover something ugly there, it's not going to break you. Because um, as soon as you discover the ugly thing, as soon as you're going to have the grace um, to, to face it and to deal with it little by little. Thea Bowman has that great quote where she's like, sometimes we'll do all these big things. But she says, I'm content to do like my little part, um, my little part. Um, and so there's a quote that I love that um, from St. Faustina's diary where Jesus says to St. Faustina, if I were to show you the extent of your misery, like you wouldn't, you would not stand. <laughs> you wouldn't stand. So instead, I show you the extent of my mercy. So Jesus shows us that he is one who looks on us in truth. Um, and this drives his love towards us, not away. And so we can follow, follow and be willing to like look on our world in truth um, and throw out some of the defense mechanisms that are usually encased in uh, well-rounded intellectual speeches um, that have very little to do with the heart um, and just really look on our world in truth. Yeah. That was, um, thank you, Sister, for sharing. I know we're kind of getting to the, the end of the time, but um, I don't know if there's anything else any of you want to mention or um, add to the discussion that we've had thus far before, before drawing to a close. I'm just so grateful for you, sister, and your voice, and for challenging us to to have these deeper reflections or, or real personal examination. And and just as you were talking um, with that last reflection, I I was thinking about um, I don't know why the the verse I'm Catholic and I'm really bad at Bible verses. I'm sorry, but it's from Revelation. I know that much. Um, where Jesus says, "Behold, I make all things new." And when we recognize those things within ourselves that are not of God, being able to give those to Him, because if the if the conversation ends with, or it's not even a conversation, and we just shut it down, or it's like, oh well, that's there, and there's nothing I can do about it, or that's how I was raised, or we make excuses and we don't enter into in, into the conversion, and this is with any part of our lives, um, that we're missing out on that grace that that sister was talking about, that God really does want to help us to become who we're called to be. Um, and the more that we can have these types of conversations um, or, or challenging each other within the body of Christ to really examine, you know, are we, are we all on the same page with this? Um, it just makes the body stronger. It makes us, it makes us as a church stronger to be able to, to respond. Hey, I don't know if we have time, but like it's, um, how much time do we have? Oh, you go, sister. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. And I think it's important right now to say that, like, the message isn't that, like, white people need to look on in truth. Right. Like, right. This is our community. And I am not going to let media um, define how I see our community or let, like, those who seek um, an end that ends in division to define our community. Like, we all need to look on in truth yes. um, and be in it together. Same as the enemy. That's the enemy. We are not each other's enemies. 
And so with that, I do have things that I think it's super important um, for Black Americans to consider. You know, when we, when Black Americans look on things in truth, like one of those things is that I think sometimes, like there's media that wants to fashion the narrative of Black history as one predicated on victimization. And it's so important for me to say that like, that is not the entirety of our story. Like I think it's St. John Paul II, he says, you are not the sum of your sins and your faults. You are the sum of the Father's love for you. And so uh, that is not our story. Like our story is one that like, yes, has this tremendous atrocities, but like tremendous perseverance. Like. Um, I'm always sending like, oh my God, babies, everybody these little flashcards. And it has like stories of like people of color who did like magnificent things because I think sometimes we're fed this um, mess of a narrative that's not our story. Um, so I think it's so important, um, so important, particularly for like young black people to know that our story is one of incredible perseverance. We have a lot of heroes in black history people who overcame um, tremendous things. And that's, that's the heritage. That's the heritage. Um, I also just want to encourage, um, I want to encourage really everyone to slow down. I think when I was sending notes to you all, I said I wanted to encourage like Black people to slow down, and I want to encourage everyone to slow down with this topic, because it has, um, it comes with really deep pain. And when I'm dealing with really deep and personal pain, like more reverence and more prayer and slow down, I know just a couple times as a counselor when I had to deal with um, helping children resolve conflict, that that conflict had racism in it. When I've dealt with children who were the ones receiving, you know, experiencing acts that were discriminatory, and I've had children who I've accompanied in counseling who were the ones doing the discriminatory acts based in racism. Um, and I remember the first couple times like I had to deal with that in ministry um, after handling it, um, I had to close the door and cry. Um, and those tears were a huge gift because it let me know um, that there's a lot of pain here and I need to slow down um, and proceed with a lot of humility and reverence. Um, and so those are things that I just felt like important to include. Yeah, proceeding with humility and reverence um, and honesty. And uh, I can't thank you ladies enough for entering into this conversation because I know I was a big scaredy cat and the, <laughs> and just the, just the inspiration and the words of wisdom and really your bravery um, uh, was an inspiration was an inspiration to me because uh, it's hard for me to like go into uncomfortable territory. And for many of our viewers, this may be uncomfortable territory, uh, but to again, to proceed with honesty, humility, and perseverance. So um, thank you so much, sister, for joining thank us. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Deanna. And then awesome. if you want to check out more of what the St. Philip Institute is doing, check out our website, stphilipinstitute.org. Um, we have podcasts, essays, we have a store with great catechetical, catechetical material. Um, it, we always ask that you support us in prayer because that is so important to us. If you feel called to support us um, with donations, we are always um, blessed by those gifts so we can continue these ministries. 
Uh, we also want to hear from you. Um, if there are topics you'd like to see addressed, if there are teachings of the church you would like deeper understanding on, um, that's what we're here for, to provide um, that clarity or that inspiration as we move forward to become um, the body of Christ that, that, that Jesus intended us to become. So. Absolutely. All right, ladies. Well, did I miss anything, Deanna? I don't think so. Great job. All right. Yay. Thank you, guys. <laughs> God bless. God bless.